The Iowa Senate pulled an all-nighter and the legislature passed a broad education bill. We'll talk about another eventful week at the Iowa State House with some of our favorite political reporters on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, April 21st edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. If daffodils are the first sign of spring, a budget deal among <laughs> House and Senate Republicans may be the first sign that the end of the 2020-23 legislative session is near. Um, I think the folks at this table are looking forward to that. Let me introduce like the folks. <laughs> Let's introduce the folks who are here with us today. Amanda Rooker is the chief political reporter at KCCI in Des Moines. Stephen Gruber Miller is the State House reporter for the Des Moines Register. Aaron Murphy is the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. And Dave Price is political director at WHO TV 13 in Des Moines. Dave, let's talk about some of the things that may have been resolved in the past couple of weeks or maybe close to resolution. Um, a bill that the governor introduced at the very beginning of the session, well, kind of at the beginning of the session, about schools is one of them. Uh, it is, and we'll see what the after effects of this are. But uh, in, in quick order, so a lot of talk about books. So this would ban books at schools that, that have descriptions or pictures of sexual acts, those kind of things. Uh, Bible not included uh, in this. Schools have to have a policy, uh, uniform policy about banning books. Uh, we've heard a lot about pronouns. So if a child wants to, to use a pronoun at school that is not the pronoun assigned at birth, would need parental permission uh, for that to happen. No talk about gender identity and that kind of thing, uh, K through six. Um, you have to post what books are going to be in your library, and if a teacher doesn't follow the rules on stuff, there could be discipline. Um, Aaron Murphy, there was a vote in the Senate this week, took a long time to get there, <laughs> on a child labor bill. What's up with that? Yeah, so that's one, and this is turning some heads across the country, um, uh, but it would uh, create more uh, jobs that would... that. Teenagers, especially under 18, kind of roughly between the ages of 14 and 17, that Iowa kids could work at that were previously uh, not allowed um, and, and would now be legal if they get parental permission and a waiver from the state. Um, and it kind of created this uh, fairly heated debate over allowing kids to work in more jobs versus um, worries about putting kids in dangerous positions in the workplace. And Stephen, there was also a kerfuffle during that about um, a Iowa Supreme Court case. 
Yeah, that's right. The Senate Demo uh, Republicans sort of uh, caused some outrage among Senate Democrats by refusing to yield to some questions about, you know, clarifying aspects of the bill and made it seem like they weren't going to talk about the bill or talk about their thoughts on the bill on the floor of the Iowa Senate. They said afterwards this had to do with a Supreme Court case that essentially quoted extensively from a floor debate a few years ago to be part of the rationale for why a law had, law had to be put on hold. So they're saying, hey, if our words are going to be used against us in court, we're going to be really careful about what words we use. Aaron, you and I have also covered property tax bills, competing plans out of the Senate and the House. Yeah, and this is one that legislators have been talking about the whole session that they've been hearing from voters a lot. Assessments have been going up. Uh, just very recently, uh, property owners uh, found out about that in the mail. And so legislators are trying to tackle ways that maybe will reduce the future growth of the amount of taxes that homeowners have to say, pay on those assessments. And Amanda, last month the Senate passed a bill regarding the authority of the auditor of state to do audits, and the House took some action this week. Yeah, we have a little bit of a resolution on that this week. The House uh, passed this bill that would basically restrict uh, Iowa's state auditor from being able to access personal or confidential information to do audits unless that information is relevant to the audit or involves embezzlement or fraud. Um, another thing this bill would do is it blocks the auditor from taking state departments to court if they don't want to provide those documents and instead directs that office to go through arbitration. Basically, if there was a dispute, it would have to go before a three-member panel. That would be the auditor's office, a representative from the governor's office, and uh, the entity in question. Uh, there's been a lot of questions raised around this bill. Republicans say it's necessary to limit confidential information, but Democrats say that's Rob Sand is the only statewide elected Democratic official and this is meant to limit his power. And he's had a pretty vociferous response. Yes, he, he's said this is a political move and he's also said he thinks this may limit the state's of ability to independently and sufficiently do state audits. Republicans push back on that. Of course, we don't know what the Senate will do, but it seems like the Senate will take this back up and pass it through. Well, let's circle back and talk about some of these things more in depth. Dave, you mentioned the school bill. Um, the context for this appears to me that, you know, it's very similar to things that we've seen in other states like Florida. Yeah, and I was trying to think back about if I can ever remember a time in my career where we've seen so many things that are similar happening in so many state houses in the same year. It really feels like this is happening. Maybe in the end, these bills are slightly different as they become law, but in Republican-led states, this type of thing is happening in numerous places about ever since COVID hit and parents started looking at what was happening at schools, what they liked, what they didn't like, this restricting about certain things, especially when you start getting into gender identity, sexual orientation, those kind of things. It just seems like this is a broad movement that's happening. Well, and, and Iowa's legislature had already addressed an issue that Congress addressed, which is uh, the participation of trans athletes. Yeah, that bill was done last year mm -hmm. uh, in the in the so this is a multi-year um, movement in in the in the Iowa legislature um, and now we're seeing other states. Uh, I believe South Dakota just passed a transgender athletes bill. Um, also, Stephen, 
there's sort of a, an adjacent education bill that happened this week. It's a bill that's been percolating through the legislature for a long time about gun policy. Yeah, not necessarily, I guess, an education bill, but it has right. to do with, you know, school, where you can bring uh, guns and essentially where you can have a gun in a locked car in a parking lot. So the bill that passed the House that still has, to, has yet to pass the Senate would allow people to, to leave guns in locked cars in parking lots of a lot of public buildings. So that includes state court buildings, state prisons, uh, libra county libraries, um, city buildings, city pools, state parks, and schools. So for, for K-12 schools specifically, you would need uh, a permit to be able to bring the gun with you uh, in your car when you're dropping your kid off at school or picking up a, you know, a spouse or whatever. For all those other buildings, you don't need a permit. It's just if you legally can own a gun, you can leave it in your car out of sight, locked up. So um, have, there have been obviously some high-profile school shootings around the country recently and actually a couple you know, here at schools in Iowa in the last year or two. And so Democrats are saying this is really concerning because you're going to bring guns, make it a lot easier for people to bring guns really close to the schools, right? You can't bring it into the school unless you're law enforcement or something like that. But just being able to have it on school grounds, their argument is it's a lot more dangerous. And Republicans say the opposite is true. Um, in November, Iowa voters passed a constitutional amendment um, essentially extending Second Amendment rights in the Iowa Constitution and some other stuff about how the Iowa Supreme Court is supposed to evaluate lawsuits about gun policy. Dave, I guess the question at the time was, what else would the legislature do? Is this just plan one or is there a plan two behind this? That's a fine question because I think I would assume most of us at the table thought there would be more. Um, next year is an election year, so perhaps something has to be saved for next year, but uh, this is not what I figured would happen. Well, and there was, I think, a press conference in December or something like that leading up to the session where it was hinted at that there would be maybe broader gun policy. And this is something that has been talked about for several years, right? Hasn't been able to get done, but it's not necessarily a new idea. So, yeah. Republicans at the start of session said, we want less gun restriction. Uh, but the focus so much this session has been on protecting kids or a lot of things around kid policy. When we're talking about schools, talking about child labor, now talking about guns, I think it's interesting that we didn't see any sort of uh, gun policy until we got to the conversation around schools and, and guns on schools. I don't know if later in future sessions they plan to maybe expand it in other areas, but I do think it's interesting that that seemed like something they teased at the start of session and kept all the way until the very end. Uh, can I asterisk my own initial comment? <laughs> um, uh, having said all that, though, I mean, they have been doing things the last couple of years. So, you know, if you can, you don't need a permit, you don't need training. Right, I mean, right. things Ron have already. Ron DeSantis is signing a law yeah. this week that Iowa's had for a few years. Exactly. So it's not like there's been nothing leading to this moment. Uh, a lot has been said about a bill um, that happened at 4.52 a.m. to pass uh, the Iowa Senate. Aaron, well. you and I and Stephen were awake for that vote. Well, you uh, were there. Yeah. There. yeah. Well, we were awake. I will, I will vouch for these two fellows. Um, what's been your assessment of how quickly this might move through the House? 
they have their own bill that is fairly similar, but and and this is like other things that we've seen uh, on some of these major issues during the session, where the two chambers are in on similar paths, but have just different enough plans that it, that it takes a little longer to get there. Um, this seems like a priority for them that they are going to figure out a way to get together, and I think the bills are close enough that they can do that. The, the, the K-12 Education Transparency Parental Rights Bill, whatever you want to call it, was a similar one that had a lot of the same stuff, just similar, different mechanisms, um, and they got that done this week. It's to the governor now. I, I think that this feels to me, and I could be proven wrong, but it feels to me like it's a big enough priority that they'll figure out the differences and, and get something done and get it to the governor. But that's no guarantee. I mean, the, it, it's, it's certainly um, a, a heated enough topic, and there may be just enough pushback out there that maybe they'll put a pin in this and, and come back next year from a different uh, viewpoint because of all the, the, the concerns that have been expressed about putting kids in harm's way. I would say I think in my opinion, I think it's probably likely to happen. And, and one of the reasons, two of the reasons, I guess. One is that this is kind of a push that we've seen around the country as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've seen other states do this. There was sort of a task force that was made up of like workforce development right. people, uh, businesses, including the restaurant industry that's sort of been interested in this. The other reason is they've taken out a lot of the things that were maybe the most controversial at the beginning. Um, you know, restricted some of the the, thing, the types of jobs that, that kids were initially going to be able to do. They've there was previously an idea that you could have a special driver's permit for kids to drive to and from work when they're otherwise too young to get their permits. That's out. There's just a study committee to take a look at that idea. So There was an immunity provision, a legal immunity provision early on, then that was taken out too, right, to your they, point. Kids wouldn't have been able to get workers' compensation if mm -hmm. they were working at these jobs, and now they will. So, like, I think a lot of the things that caused sort of the most outrage at the beginning are kind of out, and what's left is certainly an expansion of, of what types of jobs kids can do and the number of hours they can work, which is still a concern for people. But um, I think Republicans can say we've, we've you know, looked hard at this. The, it's interesting to me that they talk about this is not really about workforce, it's about opportunities, but... A big picture since COVID hit, we don't. This has gone on for for years here. Iowa doesn't have enough workers for the jobs that employers want here. This will clearly help address that, which is what some of these groups have wanted, regardless of what the legislators are saying. They're they're trying to get more people into the workforce to fill some of these spots that have been hard to fill. Who's going to stock my grocery store shelves? <laughs> well, maybe a robot. Yeah. Or, or potentially, well, I don't know exactly what the bill says on, on whether it's 1415 or 1617, but I think when you hear lawmakers on the floor saying that it's not necessarily about workforce, but you're talking to a lot of employers or talking to parents, um, I know just in my coverage, some people that I, I was talking to on this bill said they saw kind of a double-edged sword with this bill of 14-year-olds uh, submitting applications um, and getting turned away because they can only work in at, at restaurants, fast food chains. They can only work until 7 p.m. during the school year. The way it is now. Right now, before you know this bill passed through. Um, well, that's not even close to being through the dinner rush, and so companies that are struggling to find workers and struggling with finances might not want to hire someone that has to leave during the busiest time of their night. Um, but companies are also struggling with worker shortages. So one side of this that I have heard the pitch is that this solves that and, and with the hours conversation. And actually, you, the dinner rush, you know, one of the most controversial aspects of this is letting 
16 and 17 year olds serve alcohol in restaurants with a parent's permission. So that's another sort of potential um, solve for that workforce problem for restaurants. Well, and and look, the argument made that this is not about solving the state's workforce crisis, but part of that task force that looked into this and came up with these recommendations, including the state director of the Department on Workforce. Let's shift gears to um, big votes that were taken this week in the House and Senate on big bills. Uh, The Senate passed a property tax relief bill that was in the neighborhood of $100 million worth of property tax relief, trying to consolidate and get rid of a couple of property tax levies. It enhanced um, the tax credits for veterans and the elderly and made them um, more lucrative, whereas in the House, their approach is committing to spending more than $200 million in state money uh, for the next several years, if not forever, uh, to have the state shoulder more of the local costs for local school districts, which would then lower your property tax bills. Um, it seems like these two, I mean, these ideas are not the same, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how does one resolve something that seems to have such a great chasm between them? Yeah, and, and this is another one, uh, example of what I talked about earlier where you had, and, and these are a little more different than some of those other examples, but where you have Republicans working in the same direction on the topic but having two different ways of getting there. And that is the challenge. Uh, the question you asked is the challenge that faces, uh, in particular, the two legislators who are working on this most directly, Bobby Kaufman in the House and Dan Dawson in the Senate. Uh, they're, from what they tell us, they are in constant back and forth on this, and they have to figure out a way to, we both want to do the same thing, but how are we going to do that? And, and you're right, there is some really big and really important differences there that they're going to have to work out. And when you ask them about it, they emphasize, I mean, they have been very full of praise for each other. They've thanked mm-hmm. each other on the floor when they've been debating mm-hmm. these bills. But when you ask them about it, they don't emphasize the differences. They emphasize, well, we're concerned with the same things. We're concerned with how much people's tax bills are going up. We're concerned with transparency in, in your property tax bill. So even though their approaches are very different, they're saying that we're focused on the same areas here. Isn't the problem here, the governor didn't propose this. She's proposed income tax cuts before. She's let them make the decision and made it clear she wants to get rid of the income tax. And so isn't that part of the problem? I think the other thing is there's so many moving parts with property taxes. I think you can fairly say that property taxes are more complicated in this state than income taxes. It affects local governments, cities, schools, community colleges, counties, like there's all these different, and there's different tax levies. Uh, so I think that that's part of it as well. And, so go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, at least towards the end of closing remarks in the Senate, a lot of lawmakers were saying, you know, let's pass this forward. This is a great first step, or we're going to continue to look at this, or this is phase one. Um, and so even though we're talking about being close to the end of session, uh, lawmakers were publicly acknowledging that there is going to be more work, even in, in their own chamber. And another, I think, interesting thing to note that we don't always see is, right, we're seeing very big differences between the House and Senate, but between Republicans and Democrats, I mean, it, I think it was almost all but one that, you know, voted yes on these. So we're seeing agreement, bipartisan, but 
disagreement between the chambers. Dave, we've seen agreement in the in the House and Senate in regards to a bill that would change the rules for SNAP food food stamps, um, and it would establish a new asset test and um, do some other things. Uh, it's now on the governor's desk. What are the prospects for her signing it? One hundred percent, I would presume. Okay. Uh, hard to imagine that she would not sign this. Uh, also, some big confirmation votes in the Senate this uh, week, Aaron, uh, for the Iowa Utilities Board, sort of completely redoing the thing and that there are now two new members out of three. Yeah, it's the board that regulates utilities, and they've got some big decisions coming up with pipeline projects and other things out there, and now two of the three members are going to be uh, new, um, and one of them received very strong, speaking of bipartisan support, uh, bipartisan support. The other one was closer along party lines, uh, so that's how the legislators felt about them. The other, just generally, broadly speaking about this process, we're in the first year where Republicans no longer need any Democratic votes to pass um, these confirmations, uh, these gubernatorial appointments, they used to, because of the two-thirds threshold needed, they at least needed some Democrats to join them. Now Republicans can approve whoever the government, governor appoints, regardless of how Democrats feel about them. And that has happened with a few of them. They have passed with exactly 34 votes. 34 equals um, two-thirds. Two-thirds of 50. In 50. Yep. Wow, we've done math on this show. <laughs> Put that down. Uh, Amanda, uh, one of the governor's uh, priorities for several years, first proposed in 2019 after she talked about it on the campaign trail in 2018, is making birth control available behind the counter sort of at a pharmacy. That seems to languish again in 2023. Yeah, this is interesting in a climate where the governor has pretty much gotten every piece of policy that she wanted through the state house. For the most part, this seems to be the one thing that's remaining. Uh, again, the Senate did pass uh, a behind-the-counter birth control bill. It would allow uh, Iowans to access birth control through a pharmacist without a doctor's prescription. The House has it still in a few different health care bills, but it hasn't made it across the finish line yet. And we haven't been talking about it a whole lot at the State House. Um, and so it seems like this could be something that falls through the cracks, although the theme of the State House is it's not dead, you know, until the session's over. So we could see it. Exactly. So, Dave, we've got about three minutes left. A bill was released um, this past week, I mean, last week, not this week, about the Iowa caucuses. Mm hmm. Tell us about it. Uh, not to be a drama queen, but I would call that one <laughs> stunning. Uh, so late in the process, uh, if we reverse here, look back to last May, I believe it was, Iowa Democrats kind of threw their Hail Mary. So they're essentially going to do the caucus kind of in a mail-in version, if you will, when you make your presidential choice. So you, they can start that whenever they want. So technically they could still say they're first, even though the Democratic National Committee doesn't want them to be first. So all these many months go by, and all of a sudden, Representative Bobby Kaufman, uh, the son of state party chair Jeff Kaufman, puts this bill out that, hey, what Democrats are going to do, that's not going to work. And everything kind of explodes, I think, after that. Bobby Kaufman is also working for Donald Trump as a paid staffer. So people are wondering where this came from, why it's happening. Now, we'll see if the Senate even does anything with this, which may not happen. But it, to me, was so interesting that they chose to get involved in what is usually a pretty bipartisan feel, Democrats, Republicans working together to preserve the future of the caucuses. And in this situation, the son of a party chair gets involved. 
Stephen, um, you um, got a statement from the Senate Majority Leader referring to the long-term bipartisan effort to keep the caucuses first. Yeah, um, the statement was essentially very sort of, uh, you know, was a Matter statement without saying, yeah, it was, it was a statement without saying a whole lot. It essentially said the caucuses are good for Iowa. There's a long bipartisan consensus of trying to keep them. We are evaluating this bill. So it's not totally clear um, what's going to happen in the Senate with this bill. I think, to Dave's point, it really reflects the pressure that some Republicans, including, I think, Jeff Kaufman, are feeling from New Hampshire, which <laughs> has already said that they're planning to buck the DNC and go you know, hold the first contest. And so there might be, they might be moving forward anyway and possibly facing sanctions. But they're concerned that Democrats' plan could jeopardize Republicans' uh, position at the front of the pack. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's the stated motivation for this is they believe it will cost Iowa Republicans uh, first in the nation's status. The Democrats have already lost theirs. It, it looks like uh, that cat's out of the bag, and now uh, Iowa Republicans uh, feel the need to defend theirs. As Stephen pointed out, th I mean, this is a mess in so many different ways. You know, New Hampshire was already threatening to jump in front of, of states uh, on the Democratic side anyways. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here and to unfold in the coming weeks and Just months. Just late in the session. Yeah. Well, specifically to the legislation, yeah. And late in the game when you're trying to plan a statewide caucus as well, when there's so much uncertainty of what is the structure of the caucus is going to look like? Are the parties going to be able to go on the same day? And will Iowa remain first in the nation? And we are less than a year out from when the caucuses are traditionally held. I wonder how much that causes the lawmakers to try to jump in. Nothing to wonder about right now. I have some certainty we are done with this conversation. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us on this edition of Iowa Press. If you'd like to watch something you missed today or any other episode of Iowa Press, you can do so at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite's 1,600 employees are our company's greatest asset. A family-run business, Elite supports volunteerism, encourages promotions from within, and shares profits with our employees. Across Iowa, Hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.